Welcome back or welcome to the Learn Lab podcast. In this episode, we talk with Kelly Wood. Kelly epitomizes a true builder and connector, which is evident through her work. Kelly has had a diverse and successful career thus far, receiving numerous accolades and accomplishments. She also shares her story of creating an illustration company from scratch called Little Big Words. But more recently, for the past three and a half years, she has served as provost of Seth Godin's All-MBA, grown the community to over 3,300 international students. This work has earned her two nominations for Canada's top 40 under 40. Kelly offers wisdom and insight into career, decision-making, and the value of human connection and relationships. And finally, she shares one of the best project ideas that a student could do to develop one's skill set and knowledge of financial literacy. I really think you'll enjoy this episode. Before we get started, if you're enjoying the Learn Lab podcast, please rate it and share it on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform, or even leave a review. Or feel free to get in touch with a podcast, guest idea, or recommendation. All right, let's get started. I'm here with Kelly Wood. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am awesome, Adam. How are you? Happy yeah. Saturday morning. Yeah, happy Saturday morning. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Um, really appreciate your generosity. So you've uh, had a diverse career and interesting career path and um, a lot of uh, accolades and you know have made it to the top. Um, so take us back though to the early stages of launching your career and where you uh, stepped into the quote unquote real world, whether that for you was right out of high school or right out of university, you know, what was that like for you and take us back to paint a picture and, and uh, you know, have the listener connect with you on what you were like um, on that early stage in your career. I uh, was born in a city that's called Hamilton, Ontario, which is just across for your American listeners, uh, across the lake from Buffalo. And, uh, and when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be a doctor. I thought a lot about being a doctor. I was really passionate about it. And I spent a lot of time when I was in high school for any of the high school kids listening, also playing a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, sports is just as important as academics because it teaches you teamwork and EQ and how to read people and how to you know feel like you're a part of something. And I can't stress how important that sports are to to general levels of development also just for your own personal discipline and I begrudgingly went to business school uh, based on my dad uh, had a big influence on that and uh, I went into a school in Waterloo which is our Silicon Valley and Mm -hmm. went to a great business school there and uh, made it through the four years and uh, just grinned and bared bared it as much as I could. After that, I got uh, extremely lucky. And there was somebody that was in my life at the time that encouraged me to apply for this job at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is the ownership group that owns the Toronto Raptors, Toronto Maple Leafs, and then eventually Toronto FC, the Toronto Marlies, and all of the entertainment properties here in Canada. And they're equivalent to our AEG. Mm-hmm. And there was a job posting and and uh, <laughs> that hundreds of people applied for. And I actually read a blog by Seth Godin that had encouraged me to apply in a very different way. So when I did end up getting the interview, uh, I was sitting in the Air Canada Centre with my future boss at the time. And he said to me, uh, Miss Kelly, said, yes, he says, you have no experience. But you are sitting here right next to me. 
Mm. And uh, he hired me and I took a, an entry level job to start a incredible journey in uh, changing the way that football and soccer would be uh, not just in Toronto and changing the culture in the city of Toronto and what we taught basically European culture and brought it here, but also to completely transform the state of soccer in Major League Soccer. And that year was the year that David Beckham had also signed with the LA Galaxy and basically revolutionized the entire league and the way that it was played and all designated players in the finances. So I spent five, almost five years working at Toronto FC and had an incredible ride there. Wow. We won uh, Canada's top 10 marketers, marketing brand of the year, strategy magazine, uh, you know, an incredible spread on all of that, every, uh, all the sports business journal awards. And then I was poked uh, to come over to uh, Sidley, which is an advertising agency that, uh, and I worked on many clients, but sport check and, and stayed really particular in the industry. And then uh, after <laughs> working through advertising, I had a bit of a eureka moment and wanted to go and do my own thing. So I started my own company and, and took my first uh, hit of entrepreneurship and started an illustration company. And then I was happily building um, a virtual world or an imaginary world with my imaginary friends and taught myself the entire illustration suite. I'd never been to art school before and uh, I just kept doing it and showing up. And then I met Seth Godin when I was in New York City at a, an event and uh, I had almost an eerie out-of-body experience. I remember him coming up the stairs in, in Hastings on Hudson in this, in this teeny little venue and I had this moment where I... I my intuition went, this is not the last time that you'll see this man. Wow. And uh, almost a, a, a knowing of something was going to happen. And then uh, I guess it's within a couple months after that, I signed up at Alt MBA. And the next thing you know, I was running the program uh, within a few months. So everything kind of turned on its head from there. And the work that I did uh, within Alt MBA, I started with about six Google documents <laughs> Uh, to get us started, it was a pretty bare-bones startup, and I grew uh, the business to uh, have a team, as you know, of over 80 people, mm -hmm. 3,300 students around the world. And so over uh, some incredible um, Canada Top 40 Under 40 nominations and, and some pretty amazing things about transforming education and transforming the way that people work online, and uh, it's been an extraordinary ride. But you never think that the, the girl that begrudgingly went to business school turned out to, to actually be okay at it. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what a great like story and career path that you've led so far. And yeah, I mean, there's, a, I feel like there could be a lot to unpack there and like the listener might be curious about like different aspects of, uh, you know, whether it's business, entrepreneurship, marketing, um, you know, even illustration and, and that what you did there with little big words and, you know, a, congrats to you for all of those, you know, accomplishments. And on top of that, like teaching yourself, you know, Adobe suite to be able to produce a product that was, you know, is amazing and, and was out there, you know, um, cause that's a challenge in itself to share your creative work and, and then also turn that into uh, profit for oneself, you know, to keep doing the work, you know, um, so is there anything to unpack particularly about any of those uh, civic roles or is there anything that you'd like to say as like uh, might, what might be the essential skill to learn and develop in oneself for this industry, let's just call it business or, 
or any industry? Is there anything there to unpack or, or make a point to, for someone to hone in on and work on, like do the reps and work on something? I think I have a character trait that for better or for worse, I'm attracted to two things. Number one is, is that I love being the underdog. And if, when I originally signed on at Toronto FC, um, I definitely, if you work in the sports industry, everybody knows that you do not make a lot of money. And I lived just above the poverty line in Toronto that first, first opening year. Um, and how, how important that, that mentality of being the underdog and just believing in yourself, how important that is. And all of the projects that I've taken on, it feels like the Cinderella team in March Madness, where if you surround yourself with really good people that you can defy some incredible expectations. And, and uh, I, I just have to say your mentality and your conscious decision of that, you know, I, no matter what happens, I'm going to make this work. And, but the fascinating fascinating part for me is always that thrill of the chase. And I, I'm not very good. I have the self-awareness to also sit down. I probably would not do very well in really mature businesses, uh, where it's systems and regulation. I love the idea of, uh, here's a problem that exists. It doesn't, it doesn't have a solution. What does that look like? And wrapping the people around the project and around me to be able to get that to, to happen. So if I were to say how important it is just to believe in yourself and to pick yourself in the sense of, um, uh, my really good friend, Dan, I remember Dan and I went to business school together and he's a, he's an accountant. He's a, he's a big finance guy here on Bay street. And I remember I was starting to fish around and I was looking for money, uh, in my startup. And he turned to me and said, wait, uh, I've known you since we were 18. We've gotten Slurpees together at 7-Eleven and, you know, uh, uh, McDonald Village fish and chips. And, and mm -hmm. I've known you forever. And he said, but if I were to stack 10 people in a line of entrepreneurs, my money and my bets on you because you'll go down with it screaming. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you love what you do, then I think that that's the, that's the secret. But bless Dan, wherever he is at this moment, because uh, I never forgot that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, good points there, you know, like to, to a, not only like, um, believe in yourself and the work you're doing and, um, good analogy there, you know, to March madness. Uh, I think that, th I think we all love an underdog, right. And love rooting for them. Um, you know, and I wouldn't say, you know, from an outsider looking in like, yeah, you're, you're, it's, it's good that you made the point that you, went through, you know, some of those struggles in the beginning, because, you know, like I said, from the outsider looking in, it might seem like this amazing, like straight linear path, right. You know, but it's not, and there's an image that I'm thinking of, of, um, similar to Seth Godin's the dip, but you know, there's the, the path of like, when you think a project, it's like this straight line up, you know, and it's this nice 35, 40 degree incline, you know, it's not really like that. There's all peaks and valleys throughout. And, that's what it takes to, or that's what it's like bringing a project from start to fruition or release to the world, you know? And so other than Dan, um, have there been any other mentors that have helped shape you and, uh, or your work, uh, along the way in this career path? Uh, I need to make sure that I hold space and pay tribute to the two men that took a huge shot on me 
when mm-hmm. I was 23. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely Paul and Cesar and us working together when we were at Toronto FC. Those men, every single day, they were in their 40s and uh, they spent endless amounts of time uh, explaining things. They cared whether or not that we went to work every single day. They loved what they did. They brought me into meetings just to sit and to learn. Not necessarily, you know, there are lots of meetings that I probably shouldn't have been in if you treat, you know, Mm -hmm. adhere to the basic historical structure. From Cesar and from Paul, I learned how to manage people. I learned how to build a team. I learned what it felt like to want to go to work every single day for somebody who believed in me, somebody who was my champion, somebody who fought on my behalf. And uh, they didn't have to do that. I And some people in their entire careers don't ever get a mentor. And right out of the gates, I got two. And both of them were so different in their style. Paul was a lot more relaxed and had a great sense of humor and Cesar brought the discipline he did the Michael Jackson dangerous tour he worked at Visa he was an international executive and had polish and rigor and had an engineering degree from Harvard and he would also invite us over to have tacos with his family Mm -hmm. and uh, just the the hospitality and warmth and they taught me what it felt like to have a leader that cared whether or not that that person came to work every single day and taught me how important that is to give that to somebody else and Cesar especially was a teacher every single thing he didn't just tell me we were doing it he took the time to explain why and at the end of it when um, I had worked for them for five years we still are in contact and when I was doing I had some big decisions whether it was I remember when we doubled the team at Alt MBA Uh, I was managing people that were much older than me, uh, even though I was so young and both of their voices were in my ear all the time about this is what you do when it's really, really hard. This is what you do. You know, they, that mentorship and that relationship just never ended. Um, and had, they've been incredible resources, but they've never not picked up the phone when I said, Hey, listen, I need, I need some help. And that I've tried to pay it forward as much as I can when, you know, people in my orbit now it's my turn to to help you know other people in the younger generation but they were extraordinary examples of professionalism of business of grace of integrity in the work that they do of defending their people mm-hmm. and uh, going to bat for them and sorry when i when eventually when it came down to the end of it cesar and i had such a good working relationship uh he said to me uh an offer had come across the table and he said kelly he's like i'm going to help you negotiate on your behalf And the exchange that we did in the end was, I promise you that I will pass this project off in better condition than I inherited it and and set you up for success. And in exchange, you know, he helped me negotiate uh, in an incredible way. So that was also something that I learned from uh, Bill Cooper, who was working for the Whistler Olympics when they had inherited the Olympic brand from uh, from Beijing was, Mm -hmm. you know, leave the, leave what you inherit in better condition than you found it. And, uh, so to all three of them and the leaders that they are in the sports and entertainment industry, I'm forever grateful. Uh, they were, they were extraordinary and still are human beings and I'm lucky to, to have them in my life. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, that's, you're right. It, the value of mentorship, especially early in your career is so important. And, um, I think it's, I think it's, if if no one is there presenting themselves as a mentor, I think it behooves the the early stage and and really anywhere in your career, if a mentorship relationship is changing or isn't working out or someone leaves or what have you, it, I think that it 
is important for all of us to reach out and lean on the people in our network that could become net mentors and foster that relationship. And, and it's a two way street too, you know, like of, of giving to others or giving back to them in certain ways and giving value to, to that relationship as well. And not just, um, you know, taking, and it's hard to, you don't go into that relationship or conversation of like, Hey, would you be my mentor? <laughs> right. You know, it kind of just, you got to find the fit. And I, I believe that's a skill again of, of, uh, learning, um, one's own self-awareness and then also, you know, observing and stepping back and seeing the value that someone is, uh, might be offering or the traits that they're modeling and the people that you've had in your circle definitely were modeling some really, really important leadership skills and people skills. And I believe like, you know, maybe I'm referring or drawing back on another conversation. I think, you know, at certain points you've, you may have mentioned, you know, like that the interrelationship skills with people are the most important thing, regardless of what you're doing. If you're, you know, building a house or you're building a business or you're customer representative for some massive company, like being, um, aware and, compassionate and a good listener is probably, and and then being able to deliver value back, all of that is probably the most important thing. And you can wrap it up as people skills or the, the, there's that word soft skills, right? And it probably shouldn't be that. They're hard skills, right? They're the most important things we have. Um, little rant there. Um, sorry. What do you think, <laughs> what do you think are the, the, hardest and most challenging parts of your, the work that you you've done so far. And then of course, follow that up with the, the most rewarding and enjoyable aspects. <laughs> sure. Uh, great question. I would have to say hands down. So we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I have some rules of life that if I were to ever write a book, uh, I think that are extraordinarily important. The first one is, is that every single person in their life should have to work in customer service mm. in their life so that they can have empathy for the person when they give them an extraordinarily hard time. The I worked my first job when I was 16 was at Roots Canada. I was the top salesperson um, because I was able to have really good conversations. But really what being in, in sales when I was in customer service at 16 taught you how to emotionally respond to people's nonverbal cues, how to read them when they get really, really difficult and how to have grounding within yourself. But the, if for everybody, they should have to learn if you how to treat people. Mm-hmm. 150%. That also rings true how frustrated I was. We'll talk about financial literacy in a bit, but I ultimately am blown away that in business school that this is not taught because business is done with EQ. You can have all the strategy in the world and all the fancy Excel spreadsheets, but if you can't get people to do anything or they're not inspired to come to work, nothing's going to happen. So managing people is definitely the hardest thing that anybody can ever do. And the more that you can get human experience, the better that you'll be. When we, uh, it's everything from managing team dynamics to make sure that people aren't fighting, to make sure that everybody feels equal and that they matter, to actually dealing with really, really difficult situations. And one of the most important things that I ever did when we were designing Alt MBA, 
I had never managed a team before and I was constantly looking for resources about people management and de-escalating conflict and and making sure because you have all these cultures and all these people from all around the world and I think Canadian values helped a lot navigate that orbit but a big one for me the answers were not in any New York Times best-selling book it wasn't in Harvard Business Review I went to the front lines of people who work with people every day and brought in everybody from social workers to um, example uh, Shannon Weber was one of the best decisions that I have ever made to teach people about what it's like when people get really difficult and how to protect mm -hmm. themselves yep. and uh, I, I sourced uh, my really I have two amazing friends here in Toronto that own yoga studios and have for 10 years. I've worked with an emergency room doctor. Uh, I worked with a psychologist to better understand how do people work and function. And yoga studios are wonderful places to look at how you build community. And if you look at anybody that has done anything great, Seth obviously talks a lot about changing culture, but culture changes when there's community. Mm -hmm. And Martin Luther King knew that, uh, you know, when he obviously started the civil rights movement. Uh, the same thing as any major movement in history roots down to people skills and making people believe that they are bigger than themselves and have the power to change something that's important to them. But the more people skills that you can get, the, and the more that you can screw up in people skills, the better that you'll be. But it's not worth hiring some big fancy consultant when you can go and understand what it's like to sit in customer service every single day and realize, you know, sometimes that people aren't difficult people. They're just having a difficult time. Yeah. I think you, you know, hit on some important, like early stage, like life lessons of just the work as customer rep, like as a teenager, you know, it bring brought me right back to when I was like 14 working at the boardwalk on the beach, you know, ringing people up and helping people find sweatshirts and, and empathizing like with the four-year-old, and the, or the mom with the four-year-old and the kid was pulling all the toys off the shelf. And I just was like a 14 year old kid. And I, I would chuckle at that, you know, and to some, you know, I just, I think maybe that part was just in my nature to just like laugh at those little things and not, no, this is my job. I got to clean up the mess after a kid comes through here, you know? And, um, and then looking back, like waiting tables, you know, and I knew I never, I didn't want to wait tables forever, but I, I knew at a certain point through a conversation with maybe, uh, an informal mentor at that time, you know, just a, a guy who was a little bit older than me, but just understood that being a waiter uh, or a server was the opportunity to um, make a connection with people and to just work on like off the cuff public speaking, you know, and just, you know, know what you have to know for, for your job, but also, you know, just being able to, to make a connection with someone and, and, sense of stress of, of, of and I'm thinking of the word um like a sense of stress on someone's face you know or and then how to deal with that and help them um good points you know all along the way in that in that so I think yeah it's the the big one is what it teaches you which is a mm -hmm. fundamental Buddhist tenant is recognize that the other is you mm, yeah right and it allows you to have compassion for somebody else instead of being angry with somebody else because once you get older you realize that three-year-old that's having a meltdown in the middle of the grocery aisle and throwing the lemons that's also you and the part of you that's jealous the part of you that's angry the part of you that's frustrated you know if you understand that all of that is part of the human condition then you mm -hmm. can choose differently in how you react and the self-awareness and meditation level of i've been them 
is so profound and it allows you to approach situations with patience instead. Yeah. And as a, as a new dad, I think that, um, or <laughs> new, I guess it's four years new, um, <laughs> the old, the oldest, um, but you know, he like uh, for all of those, like that, that awareness, like I'm more conscious of taking breaths and not reacting in frustration after a long day when something is going haywire, you know, and, and it's just, you know, it's just part of nature. It's just part of life. It's part of being a dad and being able to pause. And then by my reflection, it's hopefully we'll, you know, I'm not saying I'm doing it right all the time, but hopefully like the more I pause and reflect and give a proper response versus a reaction will help my kids along the way of, Oh, okay. Like you don't just freak out when things don't go the way you want it to, you know? Um, so let's get into the most enjoyable aspects of your work. What do you love about the work that you've been doing um, with connecting with people and building these uh, organizations? The, uh, when we first started Toronto FC, I still remember there was a, uh, a night where we were all working late and we huddled our desks together. There was about seven of us in the office and the stadium hadn't been built. We had no players. And I remember looking at the team and they were looking at me and the chairs for the stadium seats had just arrived. So we were selling tickets with chairs that didn't even exist and hadn't been installed yet into the stadium. And that sense of not knowing, building the parts, but actually seeing it come to fruition. Wow. On opening day, when 20,000 people held a scarf in the air and just like if you were over in England and we brought that to Toronto and had this feeling of unity of 20,000 people to their feet to the national anthem that wasn't to a sport that's related to hockey in Canada was extraordinary. The iconic day, we went, I think it was six games that year that we didn't score a goal um, in the opening to the franchise was so terrible. The first part and, uh, the bank of Montreal had given out these seat cushions to 20,000 people. And the iconic part that when Danny Dicchio scored the very first goal in 2007 for the franchise, 20,000 seats, we delayed ESPN by 13 minutes. So the parts that you don't see coming are the best parts when you're building. I'm a, I'm a builder. Mm-hmm. I love building things and that the the tease of it might not work. And then when it does that moment, that just totally changes your world. And I remember the very first time that I'd worked so hard and, and put my own money in it at little big words. And I was able, this was my illustration company and I pitched in New York for the very first time and I built my booth and I was standing next to rifle paper and I was standing next to, you know, all the big brands, uh, the, the big U S brands. And I'd done that. I managed to get across the border and build then set up my own shingle and what it felt like when I got my first licensing deal and the depositing that check that was an extraordinary feeling and the part that so much of with alt mba and and navigating remote culture because there's so much i often say i thought about writing an essay about my experience at alt mba called playing chess on the edge of infinite and when i look back on what was built uh, I spent over 10,000 hours talking to people online, 
thinking about them, figuring things out. And the first time that all of the people came in person and met, that was, I managed to transform any barriers. These people were paying their own money to come and see this thing that we had created and didn't, you know, it wasn't, the coach team is, a, is an anomaly in and of itself. They'll just go and hang out at, in any city that they want. But uh, that feeling, uh, there, there were a solid, and even in New York this year, when, mm-hmm. eight, you know, there were 80 people or 74 people that showed up in New York, I couldn't actually, it's hard online to actually physically feel my work. And I was so committed to going and doing that and seeing it because when I saw you guys sitting in WeWork, that was the first time I actually felt I could see my work. Mm. And when I look at Toronto now and how it embraced Toronto FC and when they won the MLS cup, and now the stadium has a whole second deck and you know, all that stuff. It's, it's extraordinary to sit back and say, Hey, at 35, you changed a city and you changed a really important part of the internet and you changed a group of people. So you don't really, the, they're only moments, but all of the, if you can kind of just know that you're working for those moments that catch you off guard, it's an extraordinary thing. And there's not a part of me that doesn't react when I'm in the Eaton center and I see somebody wearing a Jersey Yeah. or when I still have people that come back, uh, as my customers and say, I just had a baby. Will you draw uh, some giraffes for my kid's nursery? So it's, it's, it's amazing, but I, uh, there are some moments that you just never forget. And those are, those are some big ones for me, but the, the rewarding aspects on a day-to-day basis are people. Yeah. And watching everybody the, that I've mentored and tried to give back the way that Paul and Cesar originally taught me to. And some of the people that I've been able to help get where they're going or go further than they ever thought possible, whether it's writing their first children's book, whether it's starting their own theme park, whether it's starting their own gym, whether it's starting their own podcast, whether it's challenging them to quit their job, whether it's challenging them to say, you know, are you aware that you're giving all your power away in this relationship and calling them out on the hard parts and that they're able to step into a bigger, better version of themselves. And that's the stuff that uh, it's not necessarily, it's not about you. The most rewarding work is not about you. The most rewarding work is the service that you do in the work for others of work that you love and loving the others. as well. Thank you for sharing that. Such good words of wisdom there. So to start to close out the last few questions, um, what would you recommend uh, any student? I mean, there's, it's like you've already given us so much, um, but is there anything specific you would recommend uh, to a career launcher? Let's just call it that. A person on their way into university or career or a person who's changing their career. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about that specific question? So there's two things and we're going to do the big one first. And mm-hmm. the other one is a really practical application. So the first one is I really, really struggled. There are lots of things about the educational system that I um, would love to have a bigger conversation about at some point with somebody mm-hmm. to help mm-hmm. me take these things. But in the, in the moment, one of the biggest frustrations with any career counseling or any life counseling that you get in high school or university is, well, what do you want to do? I think the bigger question is who do you want to be? And one of the things that was really important was uh, 
and inspires me every day is the quote by Dr. Martin Luther King, which is not everyone can be famous, but everyone can be great. Your greatness is defined, uh, determined by service. You only need a full heart of grace and a soul generated by love. And there's a really strange thing that's happening within teenagers and millennials. And I see it in my niece, which is that it, you are just as impactful. If you, it's the work that matters isn't necessarily being president in the United States or going to speak at the climate change summit in Brazil or Mm -hmm. going and creating this big piece of technology in Silicon Valley that creates this $250 million X or whatever that goes to Y Combinator. The work that matters is it's the nurse that brings you your medication on time. It's the therapist that helps you navigate when somebody dies and you're in an inconsolable state of grief. It's the teacher that helps you go back to the math problem that helps you see that you can actually do it. And, you know, how do you have these kids change their lens from this egotistical definition of success to actually what does it mean to be significant Mm -hmm. and not an egocentric way, but a self-centric way that lives your truth and says, this is work that matters to me and I'm good with it. And it's so hard when you're 16 or 17 or 22 or 30 to be able to find that noise and, or to quiet yourself from all that noise. And I Mm -hmm. highly encourage my niece to take a step away from some of her social media so that she can figure out what she wants. Right. The second thing that uh, I cannot stress enough, and this is from my entire family, not just from me, and a huge frustration that I have within the current education system, especially within Canada, is basic financial literacy. I am blown away that the basics of budgeting, of getting a mortgage, of buying a car, the importance of credit, and how to relegate it, and it, it just blows my mind that this is not taught, especially in Canadian high school. It's not mm-hmm. taught as a mandatory course in university. And it's in one unit in finance in business school that ha- is halfway through the term where kids are, you know, sleeping in and drinking mm-hmm. and skipping class for, and it is an imperative life skill that mm-hmm. if you wrap your head around money and how it works, you have a pillar for your life that you can stand on that gives you a place that you can leap off from. And I cannot stress, find everything that you can, find blogs that explain really, really simple mathematical concepts um, in really simple terms. Uh, I can't stress that enough. So good, good points. Absolutely. I mean, I can totally attest to that. And it's, it's one of those things. I mean, we have it in in our, uh, it's part of our standards and there's, it's part of it. And I see it as a required in our state here, um, of New Jersey and the U S that's now becoming a required course in high school, which is like a stepping point, a stepping stone. So that's, that's good. Um, but I look back at mine and it was, I learned most of it from, from my parents. I don't really recall it being, it was nothing related in college about it. So like, you know, I learned financial literacy from, from adults in my life, but, but to that end, you know, um, it's, it it is just the most important thing. Like, I think your, your point of just being able to like have control of your money gives you so much, uh, confidence and freedom. Yeah. So are there any, uh, other tough lessons worth sharing for, for our listener um, before we get to our last question. I'm going to carry on the thread that we were talking about financial yep. literacy. Yep. And 
this actually comes straight from both my grandmothers uh, that unfortunately due to different difficult circumstances and obviously a very difficult time, they were in horrific marriages that they couldn't financially afford to leave. Mm. And a lot has changed with women and how that has gone. But the importance of changing the tough lessons is that you can't afford to leave, which means you compromise your dignity, you compromise your humanity, you compromise your sense of self. And we want to pretend like those sorts of situations don't happen in today's world, but they do and they still do, but also in different formats. So it's also understanding how to change your narrative about money. And I think there's really different narratives about money for women than there is men. And we're trying to change that. And I'm working on a project right now that's basically helping to tackle financial literacy and uh, basically rechange some of the story that women tell themselves about money. And my family uh, works in, in wealth management. But the most important thing is, is that money is not about power. It is about empowerment. So it allows you at any point, there will never be a place where you need to stay, whether it's a marriage, a relationship, a job, a city, similar to the way that a police officer never sits with his back to the door. You have the ability to do the exact same thing. And, you know, as my dad would say, it's always easy to get into something, but always know how you're going to get out of something. And I can't stress enough that money isn't about it. It is about choice. It is about your dignity and it is about, and unfortunately they stayed in places that they really had to suffer through uh, because they couldn't afford to leave. And uh, just make sure that you can always be a place where similar to a police officer, which is you can sit in the restaurant and have a great time, but you're always aware of where your exit is. Uh, so that makes sure that allows you to make sure that you can exit on your own terms. Good advice. Very good advice. So unless there's anything else that you want to dive into, what would the project that you would suggest a student uh, do today or this weekend or whenever they're listening to go out and create an authentic experience similar to your work or similar to the life skills that you think uh, students or young people need to build, build upon? I'm a huge advocate of every single person in life, in addition to the customer service thing, is having mm -hmm. once in their life having their own lemonade stand. And I still remember myself with my, uh, how I ran my lemonade stand was obviously I had lemonade as an option and three different options of Kool-Aid. Nice, nice. And the full color sign. And I, uh, the most important lesson I think that you can ever learn is to how to sell yourself. Mm. And that is true, whether you get a job and you need to sell your ideas to your boss and or you need to go and sell yourself as a consultant or you need to sell yourself for your first job. And it teaches you the self-awareness about how you need to show up mm -hmm. because sales isn't necessarily about monetary value. It is about the perceived value of you, perceived value of your product. So it allows you to create an extension of yourself and saying, would I hire this person? Would I be proud of this person? Would I want to go to bat for this person? And that simple lemonade stand model, which is how are you going to make selling lemonade awesome? 
Mm-hmm. Sell a lemonade your whole life, whether it's you know trying to get your kid into daycare or uh, trying to to get your you know first big deal where you sell to some big distributor across Canada or across the United States. But everything that you learn in running a small business, whether it's the finance part, whether it's managing people, whether it's selling to other people, whether it's marketing and positioning yourself, uh, if you ran a lemonade stand at sixteen and did it in a way that you say, this is going to be the best lemonade stand ever, then you have skills for life. Such a good project. I love it. Um, I have to riff on it a little bit with you. So we launched uh, through the vision of uh, my inspiring superintendent who, you know, leads our district. You know, he said, hey, what if we do a marketplace? So we put together a marketplace and it's in June and it will be launching round two this year. And it'll be, you know, kids can create any service solution product that they want to sell. It could be launching their summer business. Hey, I'm going to come and cut your grass for the, the four, three months of summer, you know? Um, and it's such an awesome event seeing the, the things that, uh, the products, the, the food, the, the crafts, the art, you know, um, the screen printed t-shirts by kids, you know, like just seeing what they come up with and then what they, and then how they sell it to, to their friends, to their people in their community. It's such a cool event at our uh, middle schools um, or really all the schools. Um, but we hold it at the one school with the biggest space, but uh, yeah, it's such a cool thing to see. And it brings me back to knocking on doors. Can I mow your lawn for the summer? You know, 20 bucks a yard, you know, and it's just like, it's true. You know, it's such a valuable learning experience. Even if you never go into opening your small business, you learn all the the people skills we already spoke of, uh, you know, that are super important. Kelly, thank you so much for being a part of uh, this today. Um, is there anything else we should know about you or go, where could we go to connect with you? Anything else that you'd like to share? Um, the floor is yours. I just am so grateful uh, for the opportunity uh, to chat with you and I'm honored that you think that my story is uh, you know one that you want to share with your listeners and I'm, I'm on LinkedIn I, I don't have a, a space on the web at the moment uh, due to some other projects that I'm working on but um, know that it's uh, if you have that you know underdog watch that March Madness Cinderella team and mm-hmm. anything is possible when you watch the way that those kids play when they love what they do yeah Awesome. Thank you, Kelly.